Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 1. This chapter begins with a parable. And then there's a confrontation. And uh, there's a question. And the Lord picks up from there and he begins to teach the people. And he gives them a warning. And he also shows what pleases him. It's a particularly long chapter in the shortest gospel, Mark. But what the Lord wants us to hear and what he wants us to apply is what we're interested in. And we will read the word. Blessed be his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord God. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers and they took and beat and sent away empty handed I'm skipping the words in italics not there in the original language but it's understood again he sent we're in verse 4 of Mark Mark 12 Mark chapter 12 and verse 4 Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed. And many others, beating some and killing some. Mark records this right after the question of the Lord's authority by his um, people who were the ruling people which included the priests and the scribes, the elders. So as he doesn't give them the answer they're looking for the Lord goes into this parable and he's speaking about people like them. So he didn't say this parable just out of the blue. There's always a situation that the Lord is addressing. And as we read this, we see the context historically. What was going on in the time of the discourse and then what the Holy Spirit speaking to us this parable speaking about people mistreating God's servants God's people 
especially mistreating the Son of God. Verse 6, Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Who are the people? Again, in the previous chapter, in the last section we see, these were the chief priests, the scribes and the elders who challenged his authority, who questioned his authority, who rivaled his authority or attempted to. So the Lord is speaking about people like them. People who abuse the grace that God shows and the way he employs them and blesses them and they're very very wicked and so the Lord himself answers the question what will he do what will the owner do if they even kill his son all these servants are being beaten and killed Stone, shamefully treated. And the Lord specifically says in verse 4 that the servant that followed the others, the other one, they wounded him in the head. So there's a, a dramatic pickup or sad progress in these people's handling of the servants. They took the one and beat him and sent him away without the fruit that belongs to the master. He had hired these people, not the servants, but the vine dressers, to take care of his vineyard. And it was a natural, normal thing for the master to say, it's time now, I want to get my return, my profit from what I've heavily invested in. It wasn't just that he bought the land and bought the things needed to produce this. He hired people, he had to pay them. And he wanted some of that fruit. But the people he dispatched to receive that, they were shamefully treated, painfully treated, 
and then he ended up noting that they killed some of his people, his servants, that merely went to get what belongs to him. But you see how they started by beating, then stoning, and then killing. What a parable that God has recorded here, what Jesus said to these people. He spoke quite directly, even though it was via parables at times. But we can just feel the impact of the emotions ranging from grief or sadness on the part of the owner to shock to anger and vengeance all of which were an exact representation or reflection of God's feelings toward what people are doing to him and to his servants. That one son that he beloved, they killed him too. He thought that at least they'd respect him. They actually killed him because they thought, this is the man who's going to inherit. We, we, we hate our master. We don't like him. And anything from him, especially now that we know it's his son, we're going to show him how much we hate him by killing his son. In other words, they have exhausted every bit of enormous grace because the moment they beat that first servant that he sent to gather some of his fruit from these vine dressers, in charge of the master's vineyard, the moment he heard about the beating, the unjust beating of his servant, who was just doing his job, shocked and shamefully treated, hurt, he could have dispatched armed guards or done whatever was necessary to teach these people a lesson to stop them but look at the grace he sent them another servant surely this is God's heart this is what God has done prophet after prophet as it's written in Hebrews God who at various times various manners and diverse manners diverse places throughout history has sent his prophets, has now spoken to us through his own son, who is the exact representation of his very person. That's the person that Jesus is talking about himself. The one who, after all the prophets, he came to fulfill all that the prophets were longing for. They, they killed him. They're going to kill Jesus. The Lord asks, what will the owner do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And he quotes the scripture. 
from the Psalms, Psalm 118. And it talks about that cornerstone, or that stone that becomes the cornerstone of the chief cornerstone, which the builders, they rejected. In other words, they despised him, but he's become the chief. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you, haven't you read this? You're rejecting me. I'm going to rule over everybody. And so, we see the context, and they wanted to do what? Instead of them being shocked, grieved, and having their conscience smite them, they sought to lay hands on him. And the only reason they didn't catch the Lord right there and beat him and kill him when they wanted to was God's time hadn't come. And also they feared the multitude because they knew this was against them. So they left him and went away. So reflection for us to having understood the context and what exactly is going on and perhaps getting a little closer to the action and feeling as if we were the owner, how would we feel? If we sent our employees, our servants to go and take care of our business for us and you get a text or a phone call that your employee that you sent just got beaten up by your other employees. Then you get another text. They actually stoned the other one and hit hit him in the head with the rock with rocks. And he's in the ER perhaps. Maybe fighting for his life. And then you get another text, a phone call they killed some of the other employees. My God, what's happening? You think they've got to understand. I know I'll send my son. Imagine that. How can we feel this unless we really put ourselves in the shoes of the owner? That he's grieving now over the loss of his son through these wicked people, criminal people, murderers. So the indignation and the wrath and the vengeance is totally justified from the owner. And he's going to go and destroy them and take that vineyard from them, give it to people who would do the job, do the right thing. How do we hear? What do we hear? What does the Lord want all of us to hear? The question is, how do you treat God? How do I treat God? How, how do we treat the Lord? When God speaks to us and he comes looking for what he should come looking for, which is to see if we will worship him and follow him and do what he says to do and bring a return on what he's invested in us, namely giving us everlasting life through the blood of the Son. If he comes and asks 
I've given you so much time and I've given you so many resources. What did you do with it? Fair question. And the person or people that he sends to ask that question, because he's authorized that, if we mistreat those people, as the Lord told Moses, it's not against you, it's against me. They were talking against Moses. But the Lord took it personally because it was actually directed against him via his mouthpiece, Moses and Aaron. So how we treat the servants of God is a reflection of how we treat God. It's a, a very simple and obvious one of the obvious truths here where if the servants were treated that way then they will not stop short even though in the parable the the owner is hoping the fact is that their wickedness manifested fully when they not only killed the other servants, but they killed the son. So people who don't want God to rule over their lives, especially in the church, Christians, they've decided, I, I want to back out or I want to do it my way. And they allow things to come in to really warp, twist, bend out of shape and into something else distort God's will for our lives because you know why we have our hand in things that don't please him and the things that please him that he says to do we reject so we're rejecting him if we reject the messenger and the message but thankfully there were people who were not of this type at all in the crowd not only his 11 disciples, but others in the crowd. And even those among the chief priests, not all of them were bad. But collectively, chief priests, the elders, and the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, collectively on the whole, they were a very bad group. And you had people who reflected them in the crowd too. But there are also those who are not of this type. In other words, when God sends a message through his servants, servants, they don't get angry and gnash their teeth and wish to do them harm because ultimately the spirit is against God because a messenger didn't come by himself or herself they were sent, just like John the Baptist. He was sent to call into question the evil deed of Herod in unlawful marriage. He had to speak righteousness. He stood for righteousness. Even at the expense of his life.
So there will be those who get angry at God because they don't want God's message. They want an imposter to give them a message that is from the devil disguised as a message from God. Those messages will have nothing to do with obedience, nothing to do with fearing God, nothing to do with wholehearted surrender, nothing to do with being warned. Don't go back and forth. You're either with Jesus or you're not. Those messages aren't pleasant for a person who doesn't want to please God. And so the anger will be directed against the message and the messenger. And ultimately it's against the one who spoke. Man does not or shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. His word satisfies our souls. His word keeps us alive. His word heals us. His word does everything for us because his word is himself. In the beginning was the Lagos and this word Lagos was with God and the word was God emphatically. The word was God. He is the truth the way and the life. So everything he speaks to his children and offers to the world is for our life, real living. But the people who have hearts that are darkened will gnash the teeth. Just like they did with Jesus. Just like at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. Just like they did it against Moses. Gnashing of teeth. Clenching of fists. Anger manifests So it's a good thing for us, all of us, to see. Because human nature is such that we don't want to hear something that would reveal that we're not doing the right thing. Isn't that human nature? Which of us have ever readily enjoyed hearing the truth? Maybe initially we thought that's not true, and we defend ourselves and justify ourselves. But the conscience starts screaming, so you know that's true. So rather than the other person having to change or the system having to change, you need to change. It's not a pleasant thing at all. Human nature is all of us, at one point, would like to argue the case that I'm not wrong and I don't want to hear anything else. Even if wisdom dictates that the evidence shows that I've done something wrong or I've thought something wrong I need to change the other day the question came about the spirit of God he comes to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment it was God's plan Jesus came and so they have no excuse righteousness has come God has offered his righteousness Jesus is the righteousness of God and he was righteous so everything was there in broad daylight The Holy Spirit comes to tell people, you know how? Through the preaching of the message. Just like when you share the word with people and you are bringing light to them. And you know fully well, we all know, we were in the dark in a bad way until Christ woke us up. 
And so we go with the measure of humility, but also we don't water down the message. We have to be firm if we're going to be a faithful servant. These, these men were dispatched, these people were dispatched to go tell the people that the master expects to return. So a preacher, man, woman, or child, whoever's called to preach the word, to evangelize, to share With the offer of salvation comes the demand also. And as I mentioned the other day, the way the message is packaged and delivered may not be the same for every single case. And the Holy Spirit will lead us. There's a woman, I've told us before, in a city um, who adopted a lifestyle of lesbianism. An African-American woman. I remember that video I saw, the testimony. And she just thought, you know what? We have to overcome this hate against our kind of people. Meaning, the people who have that sexual orientation. And so she joined organizations and she began to be an editor of one of the leading magazines of that kind of lifestyle, homosexuality. And she was all thrilled about it. Going on these rallies and just pushing the agenda to let society know that not only can you not stop us, we will take you over. That's exactly what was happening. And I'm talking about now how the message is packaged. There's another African-American woman who happened to be a, a minister, much older than her, who heard about this younger counterpart of a human being, an African-American. And when she heard about what this woman was doing, she got her number and got in touch with her somehow. And this lady said, this former lesbian, she got gloriously saved. She said, I picked her the, picked her the phone and, and what I heard was, what are you doing? <laughs> and she said, excuse me, who is this? And the lady kept talking about the Lord and how, you know, all kind of words, you, you know you're not happy. This is not what God... All kind of words came from the other end of the phone. It's like a, a mother kind of authority and at the same time a preacher of righteousness and something that this woman would utterly hate, passionately hate because she didn't believe that message at all, that God didn't make her that way and it's not God's will. No, no, no. We have another kind of belief that God made me who I am. It's for who I am. And if you don't accept me, you don't love me, and all of that track of thought. Well, instead of hanging up on this lady, even though she wanted to, she said, she kept listening, and the lady said, I'm coming to see you. Can you imagine that? The lady came and saw her. And she said something happened to her, where 
deep down in her heart, she knew my whole choice of lifestyle, what I'm doing, the entire um, agenda to push this orientation on society and to go on rallies. And she was editing the magazine for this kind of movement. She said she withdrew her name from the editorial committee. And she said the people were shocked. What happened to you? Have you become an enemy? She said, I, I surrender my life to Jesus. And she said, I don't need anybody. She said, I don't need a female. I don't need a male. I have the Lord. I'm happy. Gloriously saved. She took a lot of heat, she said. This is to be expected. But she found truth. But the point is, the servant was sent the message wasn't packaged exactly as people would like to have it or even Christians and other preachers may think is the right way quote unquote but the spirit of God used that older woman to directly confront her this woman being a total stranger and in a kind of rude way as she thought initially but she knew later this was love telling me, wake up. And she discovered the love of God through that kind of message. Amazing. So the servants that God sends, they do carry the message. It's always the truth. The truth is not changed. They're faithful. But the way they bring it can vary without missing even one part of the truth. And what do people do? People like the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. In other words, the very people that are supposed to uphold the law, uphold God's law, the people that were supposed to be so morally pure, such an example for everyone. They're the ones that want to kill the Son of God. Eventually did. They're the one that, ones that rallied not only the Jewish people, but they courted the enemy, the Roman rulers, to destroy Jesus. Is it any different today? How many people would like to destroy Jesus all over again? The truth is, many, many people, if you've done any kind of evangelism, you'll know pretty quickly. Not everybody will stone someone, wound them in the head, like in this parable. You know, Not everybody will do those things overtly. But in the heart, it's no different. A person with a smile could wish they can choke the messenger, choke the message out of the messenger, and burn the message, and then throw the messenger back to the sender and even hope to destroy the sender who's God himself how can people do that well they're blind but also as the Lord says correctly truthfully if you were blind you wouldn't have any sin but now you say you can see therefore your sin remains so there's a an, an 
accountability that God calls for is not just, oh, they're dead in trespasses and sins, how deplorable, they just can't see, they're blind. So you know what you got to do? You have to package this thing with a lot of love and make sure you use the nice words and uh, hopefully they'll think you're cool and you're nice and they'll go play racquetball with you and they will go to McDonald's with you and they'll do things with you and you know this friendship kind of evangelism it'll go a long way to win somebody it may take 35 years uh, for them to you know do anything Christ-like but it's okay no it's not okay God will use friendship evangelism as he likes when it'll work but not everybody's called to approach evangelism in a that kind of friendly way. Isn't that right? Is it that we're called to be hostile? No, but the message may appear that way. The prophets, all of them would fail evangelism class if they were to go to the classes offered today in many, many churches and ministries. They would fail. The leaders would go right up to them. Who are you, Isaiah? You need to hang out with Jesus more because you seem a little irate. I mean, your words are just cutting people down left and right. What's your name? Jeremiah? What are you doing telling people everything's going to get burned up? What's your name? Apostle Peter? You can't talk about the end of the world. So spook people out. Come on, you need to tell them how good they look and how much Jesus loves them. Oh, all of them would have failed, including Jesus himself would have failed in the class about evangelizing people to make them Christians. If it were up to people who don't read the scriptures, they don't have the passion that God reveals in order to walk with him, what he feels and how we need to be led by him. There is a balance. And as I have thought about this and shared with people who ask, how do you approach people and how do you speak and how do you know what to say and how do you know how to act and and uh, all these questions and how do you know how to spend your day and how much of the Bible should I read, how much should I pray, which book should I read and to all those questions, we're seeking a balance and as I've discovered and many of you what I share with people is that only God knows the exact balance. And He's willing to reveal it to each of us. And He will if we want to know what He knows and what He thinks. But if we try to juggle it, we'll always end up frustrated. Because what is the right amount? Someone said this, um, you can't, you can't, disappoint God because you can't surprise Him. Uh, you can't do anything to make God love you more or love you less. And so, whoever thought of this idea, bizarre idea, that you need to pray like half an hour, that's ridiculous. We live in a different society today. We have lots of things to do and the attention span is gone. You know, that's probably somebody else's fault too. Uh, an hour? Are you kidding me? No, no, no. I don't think, I really don't think quantity matters. It's quality. So I do my one minute prayer and it's charged for five hours. Is that good? So it sounds 
kind of intuitive and reasonable. And you know, there's a tremendous deceptive spirit, just like in the Garden of Eden and down throughout history, who will appeal to people for the easy way that makes them look good and feel good and comfortable. And you know what? There's a gnashing of teeth. Oh, I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. Where when somebody says, we really ought to have a prayer meeting, there's a disgust inside. For a lot of Christians, I've seen it. Or, you know, I think we should pray for a couple of hours a day. There's a, there's a disturbance. Oh my goodness. What's going to happen to my crochet class? And what's going to happen to the soccer practice and that TV show that I wanted to watch? And just going shopping, I mean, a couple of hours? That's something that they did in the Middle Ages, wasn't it? Martin Luther and all these people. I mean, they had time. We have Macy's. We have the beach. We have, oh, we have a zillion things to do. God understands. We're in a different era. You can't push that on us. Well, isn't that legalistic? Yeah, it sounds legalistic. This guy's legalistic. That, that lady's legalistic. Even the thought of that. I mean, what century are you living in? What world are you living in? Um, to spend a couple of hours reading the Bible? I can't. God understands. He knows me. There's a gnashing. If it's not manifested physically, externally, certainly it's there inwardly. How do we know? Because of the words that come back in answer to the proposition. To seek God more diligently. Right away, it's like, who told you to tell, say that? And that's what I've heard. Um, how much prayer is enough anyway? I mean, if you're going to tell people that you need to spend quality time, like a little more time praying, who's to decide how much time we pray? And that's supposed to be a retort and a reply to shut that legalistic person down, quote-unquote. And you know what? It seems to work for the masses because they say, that's massive legalism. You mean holiness where like, you don't look at people and flirt even? I mean, come on, we're human beings, we're social creatures. There's a little give and take, you know, a little, little remark at the water cooler in the office and opposite sex and um, you know you got to feel good and you got to look good you got to make sure they think you look good and feel good so you got to speak a certain way you don't you know you don't cross the line but I think it's okay and then the person turns around who's to say how much we're supposed to speak anyway I mean it's like a dictatorship you I can't say this, and I'm supposed to pray this long, and I just want to be free again to roam and do my own thing. I signed up for Jesus because I thought Jesus was going to enhance my life and my image. You know, market me better. Give me a little makeover. I really don't like the word Lord, even, you know. The word master? Are you kidding me? It reminds me of slavery. Uh, I like savior. I like friend. Uh, I even like helper. But the other stuff, if you insist, I guess I can say Lord. But I'm not really with that. Because the Jesus I know, 
He loves me no matter what I do. And even when I do something against him, he's always there for me. I mean, if he's better than Barney the dinosaur, better than, you know, anything else, he's, he's got to love me, right? No matter what I do. Well, it may sound a little facetious and dramatic, but the real truth is most people don't like Jesus. And that includes most people in the church. The disciples were stunned because he said, only a few, only a few will make it. When we read the New Testament, we're in that period where right is wrong, wrong is right, good is evil, and evil is good. How do we know? Well, at a certain point in time, officially, publicly, mainstream denominations in the Christian church world, mainstream, have openly and publicly and officially declared, we will not judge anymore. Oh, the church has been so bad. And we're going to make it up to the homosexual people who we don't want to call that term. They're friendly. They're gay. They're really happy, you know. They've been mistreated. I'm going to fight for their rights. Come on. We're going to get on a bus. We're going to fight for the rights of these underprivileged and, oh, these people. The church is so atrocious. We're going to really make up for it now. So, you can be a priest. You can be a pastor. You can be an elder. You can be a deacon. And you can have a relationship with the same sex and have multiple partners. You know why? The more the merrier. And again, if we've decided we're not going to judge this, well, you can even find a horse. And you can get married to a horse. And we will be there to celebrate this beautiful new way that you have been. You're a pioneer. You're a trailblazer. Good for you. My God. Bestiality was condemned way back in the Old Testament. Because it was happening. God wasn't just throwing words around because he thought, you know what, I suspect, hypothetically, somewhere down the line, some deluded person in some generation is probably going to think about that. No, no. It doesn't enter God's mind. God himself said that. He's shocked, actually. And we mentioned about that. How can he be omniscient and shocked? It's possible. It happens with him. Not because he doesn't know everything. His nature is that he doesn't think evil. But he does know what people will do. You see, there's a difference. Evil doesn't originate with God. And when he sees it happen, he calls it out right there because he doesn't want that to spread and destroy civilization. Empires have been destroyed because of fornication, bestiality, homosexuality, empires. Greed and murder, mistreating foreigners, hurting the homeless. Yeah, oppression. All this stuff brings empires down. Civilizations. God's going to 
step in and say this is wrong. And when he sees it in Israel and Judah, immediately he sends his messengers because we've got to stop this. You know why? It's going to destroy everyone. Satan will take over. And that's exactly what happened, you know, when they started doing this, just like in Romans 1. You know what? They started looking at the birds. They started looking at the dog. They said, who said I can't worship the dog? I'm not talking about taking care of the dog, you know, in an extra special way. People should take care of the animals. God commands that. He said, don't be cruel to them. Take care of them. Jesus even says that in the parables. We don't worship it. We're not take, talking about it in an abstract way or in a mild way. They literally said the dog is God. And they started putting the dog's head in pictures on people and putting them on thrones. Rats, elephants, cows, you name it. Snakes, temples dedicated to cobras. My grandfather was one of those people. Building temples in the Hindu religion. And his particular uh, group, in the state of Kerala, specialized and were called, quote-unquote, to deify cobras and build temples for them. Thank God my grandfather got gloriously saved in the 40s. He left all of that. But this is human nature. Unless we understand what's happening in the world, what has happened before, why God speaks the way he does, and why the message comes in a certain way because we don't know everything but God does and so when the prophet such as David is called to pen these words in different psalms called imprecatory imprecatory psalms which means that he's calling for payback from God against evildoers there's reason the Holy Spirit inspires him to write certain psalms like that he doesn't question it because he knows this is the Holy Spirit doing this and he sees in front of him what people are doing to his God. It's not just all prophecy and you know prophetic word. And uh, you know he had his battles and history's over. And he's looking forward to the Messiah. Psalm one ten: The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yeah, it's all coming down the line, but not too much, please. One out of one fifty psalms imprecatory. Uh, calling for vengeance, Lord, break the teeth of the ungodly. That's pretty graphic, you know. I think it's enough. No. You see those type of psalms all over. Why? Because God is the truth. And when light comes, darkness is exposed, and he will shut the darkness down. Because he's good. He doesn't want us to perish in the darkness. So the balance, only God knows. But he doesn't keep it a secret. The secret of the Lord is with them who fear Him. If we really love Him, we really in awe of Him, revere Him, you know what will happen? He'll begin to share His heart. And we'll know, this is why God wants me to do this. At least an inkling. We won't be in the dark. And then He'll reveal more. Then we'll know, okay, this is exactly how God feels. And this is what He wants me to say. And as I mentioned before, often we'll find that the old nature, the flesh, and our old way of doing things, even the old way of doing Christian things, it's really not God's method. And moment by moment, person by person, venue by venue, wherever we go, we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit because we can miss it completely. 
what would happen if God knows a person is going to commit suicide tomorrow or commit murder or something horrible but you look at them up and down how many times have we heard that in the news even there's not a trace of a murderer in their appearance I mean the hair is beautifully groomed man or woman dressed immaculately cheerful I mean attractive charming oh my goodness this almost like a saint I mean they don't know Jesus but they sure look like a saint and act like one have blood by nightfall on the hands murder somebody or commit a suicide and what if you and I were the last people to talk to them what if we found out that maybe something's coming down in that regard they're about to enter hell before the night is over oh my god hey, can you imagine a Christian who knows that starts becoming frantic god oh, save them lord I'm going to look at my bible I'm going to look at my evangelism techniques and I'm just going to tell them Jesus loves them that's all I can do I mean so I pick up the phone or meet them and say you know Jesus loves you and what they're thinking is what we don't know God knows that they've heard that all their life I'm talking about a particular case that only God knows and this doesn't do anything to them you know what somebody else comes along and they're speaking for God and they say something like don't be blank not a vulgar word but not a pleasant word in other words wake up oh that person would have failed a lot of evangelism evangelism classes but that's exactly what was needed to wake that person up case in point the year 2000 in India I'm with Pastor Kurva before we had any children in Brooklyn I'm going to my secular job and she tells me one day God has spoken to me what did he speak to you she was 22 years old, 23 years old at the time. I was new to this. I've never heard anybody say God spoke to me that specifically. She said, God showed me three people are going to die. I said, what? Where? How did you know? She said, God told me. Where? In India. You mean thousands of miles away? What are you going to do? I'm going to go. We're going to go. And she told me who those three people were. No communication with anyone. She's a person who spent the time praying. Her, whole, her whole, whole world was God and next to God was me. She was extremely outgoing over there. Ministry everywhere. Well-liked, popular, worship leader everywhere. In sports, I mean, full life. She left everything because she knew it was God's will. God put us together. Of course, we loved each other, but she came here. And basically, she was kind of shut in because I was not very outgoing. You know, I mean, I was busy with work and everything, studying. But it was a different world, and she never once complained, never felt that. All she knew was God's will, and it's going to be beautiful. unfold. There will be trials, but she had a, a lot of trials. And I was not on the same wavelength. 
to say the least, even though God was working and we did share that interest to seek God and to do God's will and to be used of God. That was my passion, actually. But I wasn't on the same wavelength. But here this comes out one day, and that was my kind of my introduction. After watching her for some months, actually a couple of years at that time, and she was really godly, more than anyone I've ever seen. And um, I moved around quite a bit because I was going from church to church, helping even a church plant in Brooklyn Heights and camp leaders, Sunday school teacher, all that stuff. So a lot of people. But it just changed my world and I was observing closely and a lot of questions came up within me. How could this person be like this? How could she be so loving? And I mean, I've never seen anything like this. So that set up the foundation for me not to question too much because I knew she was walking with God. But I did have a question. How does this thing work? I mean, how did you just know that three people thousands of miles away and you had no communication with them? Well, relating to what I said before this, one of those people was a girl, a friend, a college friend of hers, who attempted suicide by jumping off a second level. And basically she was paralyzed. And so Pastor Kurobo, who God told specifically, she was one of the three, when we got there, long flight, I'm watching this unfold. We got there, and I wasn't there in the restaurant, but they took this girl, they carried her to the restaurant to talk with her because so many people were around and where she was. And Pastor Kirba looked at her straight in the eye. She was so compassionate and very gentle. Sacrifices so that people can be saved. She talked in a different way in the restaurant to a paralyzed girl who attempted suicide and was getting ready for another attempt. And she said something like what I was saying. She said basically something to the equivalent, are you out of your mind? And then she gave the truth. That caused that girl to break down and repent because the way it came out was not I'm sorry and you know I know you went through a lot now there was a there's a horrible situation that caused her to do that but the rebuke that came was that how can you do this against God you see very different very different from your usual evangelistic or crisis intervention approach because the Holy Spirit was leading her. It wasn't the same way everywhere. But that saved that girl. And not only did she repent and get back to the Lord and never try that again, she actually miraculously started to be able to walk with crutches. And then I believe I heard that she could walk without them eventually. The other two cases, 
I saw one of them, spoke to one of them. He was going on his motorcycle on the beach at some, I don't know, over 100 miles an hour, wanted to commit suicide. And we got to speak to him, and he repented, got back with the Lord. And the third case was, a, I think, a doctor friend or pharmacist friend of her cousin. And he also came back to the Lord. All three were, for different reasons, about to commit suicide. All three were saved. Now we understand a little better why the Lord speaks the way He does and why He sends messengers, even to this day, to speak in a way that causes people to gnash their teeth. And the sad part is, I'm talking about people in this church who are not in touch with God. They think they're in touch with God. And we were among that crowd. Certainly I was. It was not that I wasn't willing to say what God wanted me to say. I didn't know what He wanted me to say because I was not close with God. But you see, brothers and sisters, when God introduces these things and everything tallies when we're really seeking God, really loving God and fearing Him, God is saying, now I want you to step into this realm where I can guide you precisely, step by step. These people were supposed to be like that. These elders. What is an elder? Typically, it was a person who was actually a little advanced in years. Advanced meaning, was not a typically a 30-something-year-old. Or 40-something-year-old, many times. One who had a kind of level of wisdom to not only direct his life, but to be able to help direct others or give them guidance, an elder. And in that Jewish setup, just like a church, they had responsibilities. Legal things they had to do. They were counted on as an integral part of the judicial process many times. Whether in informal settings or formal settings. And certainly the scribes, they had an official duty. They were copying the word of the living God. They really knew the word well because they were doing it all the time. Copying with very strict standards. It's a laborious task and they were doing it. They were committed to it. How did they miss Jesus? The, the chief priests? These were the elite in Judaism. Everybody respected them. Apparently Jesus didn't. Because he called them, along with the Pharisees, the whole lot of them. Jesus said, you snakes. You guys are graves. You got dead men's bones. And people walk over, they're not even aware. It's a spooky, eerie thing. It's a wicked thing. He said, you look very, very refined and pure on the outside. You're full of rottenness on the inside. Oh, he told them. Now, could somebody dare to speak like that today, anywhere? You know how many Christians and ministers would say, that was then, this is now, and I'm not Jesus, and you're not Jesus, so you don't talk like that. The only problem was Paul was not Jesus, but he told a certain individual, you 
you're wicked basically and you're going to be blind for a season and the man became blind many many people sent by God they have to speak a certain message and by the same token the balance and knowing what the Spirit of God wants when certain people felt like talking in a in a manner that was rough they thought you know what this person's had it man everything I know about this person they are just playing games not knowing again everything God knows and at that point God wants us to actually go in the same tender way where we think you know what it's not working so I have to change my tune in that particular case God says do, the, do it the same way and that 10th time or 12th time showing love is what's going to open their eyes this person really loves me I can trust him even if I don't, I don't understand it this love is so real because this is like the 12th time they're loving on me even though I've been really bad oh God how do I get that we need to fear the Lord ourselves and know that he's the boss he knows everything he loves us and the other person way more than we know understand and that he wants to use us only he knows the exact key that's necessary to unlock that heart only he knows the words even the content not just the tone oh these people like Paul like Peter like Stephen the man that when he was being stoned he said I see the son of man standing I see Jesus standing I see heaven open he's, he's dying and he's looking up before that his face looked like an angel's face as they were looking all these people gnashing the teeth he's just breaking it down from them the exact history Abraham down they knew it but then he said you and your fathers are wicked that did it for them but there's the Holy Spirit speaking through him and though he spoke so sharply as many people today in the church would find him like why did you do that Stephen I mean you could just continue with saying about you know Abraham and where he came from Mesopotamia and the fathers and um, you know Jesus came from that line please brothers can you just consider this I mean he died for you he loves you none of that was there while he was dying there's a judgment upon those people oh can God count on us not to go and say Lord can you give me that job please I'd like to pronounce judgment on somebody when I die no but what if he wants us to would we be able to hear God what if at that time there's a young man there Shaul Saul keep an eye on the clothing of the people who are stoning this first martyr this beautiful majestic holy handsome man and servant of God handsome I say spiritually what if that man would reflect and think you know I saw his face too it was like an angel's face and I saw what he said I heard what he said when he's dying he said Lord don't lay this to their charge forgive them 
I wonder if we would aspire to be like Jesus. At least from now on, Lord, I really don't want to do my own thing. I'm talking about as a Christian, even as a person who's supposed to be the light to family and friends and other Christians who are not just immature, but they're actually rebellious. There's quite a number of them in the church. Can God count on me to speak exactly what He wants? How can I hear from the Holy Spirit? How can I know? Well, it starts with, first of all, accepting the message that we're hearing now. That this is the truth. And God is calling us to get closer to Him. And to say, Lord, I will abide by Your Word. Anything, Lord, You pointed anything in my life that's not right before You. Father, I'm giving You my promise. I will, I will, finally, at least now, change everything, Lord. Because you are perfect, you're good, you love me. And you want me to bear much fruit in your kingdom. And fruit that will last. Lord, I, I've signed up. But I know that there are conditions. And all I have to do is stay with you, abide in you and if I'm going to be with you, Lord, I can't have any darkness in my life. That's all it takes. From there, God will take us by the hand. And it will be a unique education that will continue until we see the Lord face to face. But it's a very different path than from the kind of mindset that many people have. And I know what it is because I had that. How do you know? Who do you trust? Um, I felt this way, you know, in this camp. And when I did this, even evangelism, uh, do I get that feeling back if I go back and do the same way? Or is there something else to explore? You know, I, a lot of DVDs here, and a lot of seminars, and a lot of commentaries, and a lot of preachers. And uh, do I just kind of take an eclectic approach, you know, take a piece of each pie and make it my own and hope for the best? No. The Spirit of God, He's the living God. He has very precise steps for everybody. In other words, not only marriage, not only career, but day to day, what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. He wants to be that intimate and lead our lives. But unless I know that such a thing is commanded and expected by God, number one, number two, such a thing is possible, that's step two. And the third thing is, it depends upon me whether I want it or not. If I say yes to all three, God will do something dramatic. With a revival fire will burn even more intensely within us. And you know what? The more it burns, even when we have to give a message that seems to be unpalatable, and we know people, some people are going to gnash their teeth, maybe a whole lot. Maybe everybody at a certain church in a certain venue. It's possible. But we'll truly be humble inside. But the passion and the tone even can be the divine personality operating through us. Because that's exactly what God wants us to do. In some cases, that's what it will take to save somebody. In other cases, that's what's going to complete the will of God in our lives to pronounce God's judgment on people or certain group of people. Not that we're looking for it, but it may come to that. 
I mean, I've heard of preachers who really walked with God and during the service, even a crusade, real life story, while he was preaching, there was a man in the audience, this is Lester Summerall, who knew Smith Wigglesworth. He went all over the world in the 30s evangelizing, risking his life with another man of God. And he said he was preaching in a, in a huge place and there was a man that was there. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit quickened him out of all these thousands of people. And he said, you, sir, you are against God and you don't like what I'm saying. The Spirit of God told him to do that. And the man, of God, the, the man that was sitting there, um, he resisted this and he was thinking something else. And this man of God, God is revealing in the middle of the sermon, he said something like, um, if, you, if you leave this place, you're going to go to hell. And you know what this man did? Just to prove him wrong, he got up and started running and he dropped dead. Just a few feet. Literally died. Now can we say, well that's, that's, that's heavy. I mean, that's, and what was he there for anyway? Somebody might ask. That preacher? I mean, was he there? To, what, what message was he giving? What, what is this about? Is it about he has some power and he's going to make somebody die? No, 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 no. When the man is a true evangelist and people are really getting saved, there's a, I spoke about this man before when he was in the Philippines in the, I believe in the 50s or 60s possibly 70s actually but he went there huge revival happened there and there was a case that was public the police couldn't handle it all these people doctors a girl was possessed she was having marks on her body they all saw it they didn't know what to do they found this American preacher there they came to him he fasted and prayed he went there she got delivered it was big news everywhere so he's a real man of God he's not making it up but he's doing what God said to do. And look at the result. Exactly what he said happened. Now that's not something again that we should aspire to. Something that kind of has an uncanny and strange perverted drawing that hey, I, I wish I could have that power. There are people like that demonically in the church. I want power. I want what you got. That's a demonic thing. We, we should say, I curse that evil spirit. Get out in Jesus' name. God made me who I am and my identity and my self-worth in Jesus Christ is whole. All I need is Him and He will develop me. I appreciate other people. I love other people. I will follow them as far as their spiritual walk. But to be them, want to have what they have beyond that, for the sake of power or fame or whatever else, that's demonic. We have to recognize it and dismiss it immediately. God has a unique call for everyone, a beautiful call for everyone because every one of His children are made beautiful by His blood. But we ought to know that what happened in Bible times, not only Old Testament, but New Testament, not only Old and New Testament times, but 
down the centuries to the present day. Oh, I've seen that even in our ministry. Oh, very, very sad. I'm not talking about just church here, but in our ministry outside before. I mean, that brings the fear of God. Let me conclude with this this morning. As we just looked at a section in Mark 12, it's what the Lord wanted today. Um, the result of that thing that happened, as I often mention, Acts chapter 5, with the husband and wife that lied to the Holy Spirit, they dropped dead. The result was the fear of God came upon the church community. Everybody. And what, that happened, what that did was, it drew them closer to God, to really respecting Him and loving Him and making sure that they don't do that stuff. It's a good thing. But the fear of God also comes uh, when people witness a miracle, a sign and a wonder. In the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah was dumb in the sense that he couldn't speak, as we know, because he failed to believe God's message from the very angel from God's very presence. But when his voice came back, because he cooperated with God, he believed and he did what he had to do, even though he had to write it out because he couldn't speak. They were astonished. How could the child's name be John? We don't know anybody. John in our family. But that's the moment that they saw the sign. All of a sudden, the man who couldn't speak for a while, a good while, his mouth opened. You know what the result was? It said they feared and although it doesn't say in the passage they feared God, it was the fear of God because the result was they started praising God. They started magnifying God. And they were wondering, what child is this going to be? Everything was directed toward, wow, God is awesome. That's the result of the fear of God. It will make the whole crowd know that this is God's presence in my midst. That will shake anybody up if they really understand that. It will draw the person who is not evil but ignorant or doesn't have that experience often or any time suddenly there's a sensation that oh my god he's, he's actually here it makes us tremble makes us revere him makes us love him we're in awe we're shaken up and you know what makes us stay clear from the path of destruction it depends on the individual but that's the general effect on the one hand the judgment that comes to destroy, that produces fear. That can possibly cause people to make sure they save their necks from going to hell. Because they understand at once, this is God. I cannot do what I used to do, to fool around with what he's telling me. Moses shook on the mountain, and God said, so that my fear may be upon them. Why? Because they were ready to disobey him. And God saw that out of his love. He sent the lightning and the thunder. Yeah, he had to do that. You know, when we come close to death, whether on the highway or through a disease or whatever it is, or we feel like dying, it's like a, you know, physically there's no disease and we're not in some kind of accident or, but the bottom just drops out within. We feel like, I feel like I'm dead. I feel like, I don't feel love. I don't feel anything. I don't feel worth anything. I, 
at that time. God's touch can make us realize that He's in the area. At that time, the word that God dispatches, it may come directly to them, to their mind, to their conscience, to the spirit, or it may come through somebody like you, somebody like me. Exactly what He wants to say. And they'll know, even if we don't understand it fully. You know why? Because we're walking with God. The prophets didn't know a lot of things they were saying. They, they didn't know. did what God said. Later on, they come to know. Or they will come to know. Same thing with us. If we're walking with the Lord, we can be the very vehicle that can cause a person, as is written in James chapter 5 in the end, a brother or sister who's really in bad shape. Nobody knows. God knows and He sends you to go there and say exactly what he wants to say. It's not a game where we say, well, two out of five that I dealt with, you know, I really tender. I guess it's about time for me to get tough with this one. No. Only God knows the balance. But there's a way. And so there's a way where God can use this as a sign. There's a... Last example I'll give. I've shared this also before in a church. In Brooklyn College back in 1990, I believe, I had to study in an anatomy class in the midterm, and the professor was pairing people up, and everybody gravitated toward who they knew, and I didn't really mingle with anyone that much. But there's one guy I really didn't like because he seemed he was arrogant, actually. And I thought, I hope I'm not paired with this guy. Anyway, that's who I ended up with. The professor did that. But the Lord is working, and we walked across the campus to the department office to study during the lunch hour. And as we're walking, I started talking to him, and I started telling him about Jesus. And he had all these questions. He said, I mean, I don't believe this at all. He said, I don't think we're the center of the universe. I mean, this Christianity stuff, it's like kind of arrogant, you know. What about aliens and all these questions? And by the time we got to the office, we started studying and Again, I talked about God, and he stopped, and he grinned, and I think he laughed, and he started having tears in his eyes. This guy that was kind of muscular and looked like he's had everything together, and I didn't know him. And as I was sharing the love of God with the staff over there, people listening, and he has tears in his eyes, and he says to me out of nowhere, I asked God for a sign last night. And the reason I asked him was, if he didn't give me a sign that he's there, I was going to kill this girl's father. Because she didn't want a relationship with me. You know, this was a story. And he, he, he got gloriously saved. We stepped out of the office after shared the word, but God's grace... And we knelt down across from the, the the weight gym that was there on campus in Brooklyn College. And he knelt down publicly and gave his heart to the Lord. Whole life changed. Whole life changed. God can use us where if we speak what he wants us to. And I'm not going to hold back the, the fact about hell. Because that's part of the message. But what portion and what amount and how to say it 
Only God knows. And God made that happen. So my point is, just like Zacharias, there could be a sign that the person is asking for or didn't ask for, but it's definitely a sign. It's no coincidence. And they recognize that. That can make them listen and fear God and give their hearts to God. It may be a positive sign. It may be a negative sign. But it's enough to really shake them up on the inside where the devil loses grip. And we can sometimes watch it unfold before our very eyes, how the grip is actually loosening. Satan's screaming, but he can't hold them anymore because the Spirit of God is moving in. And what a joy. I felt like I was in heaven. I mean, he got saved. I didn't expect it. And after that, we tag-teamed together, witnessing to other people, and another person got saved. And God is so good. We need the Lord. We need to see how the Lord Jesus never spoke anything other than what the Father spoke and He heard. And you see it very different in different situations, but all the time hitting the mark, even for people who don't want Him, such as the mass of these leaders. How did He hit the mark there? Because He did God's will, number one. Number two, God's final word came to them through Him. So, in a sense, not only was he transmitting the message, just like the Apostle Paul and everyone who would follow God and speak for him, we will be part of the plan of execution or the execution of the plan. The actual part of God's plan in pronouncing his final word to someone. Now, is it pleasant for us? It wasn't pleasant for Jeremiah. It wasn't pleasant for a lot of people. But did they understand better later? Of course. Especially when they get to heaven. Just to do His will because we'll inevitably meet, and we all know this, quite a number of people. If we have the right message, if we're walking with God, we're not going to have a whole lot of people proportionately in the course of our ministry who are going to like God or like us. We're going to have quite a number of enemies. You know what the saddest thing is, the most horrible thing? Many will be wolves within the church at large. That's the truth. So we have to know this. And as the Lord said, don't be surprised if they hate you. He said the world, didn't he? But I see in Timothy and Jude and Revelation that much of the world is in the church too. At the same time, we will have certain seasons and certain places where everybody can get saved. The whole lot of them that's listening, not one is missing, everybody gets saved. Quite possible. And then in between. But our job is just to be faithful, to love Him so much and understand that He's the wisest and He's the best. When He says whatever He says, it's always perfect, always perfect. The Word of the Lord is flawless. Psalm 19. It's perfect, reviving the soul. He's also perfect in his judgment. And God will draw us to be closer and closer with him. And we'll be thrilled, even when we have tasks that are unpleasant 
humanly speaking. It just shakes our sensibilities. But we follow through by obe obedience. We'll feel his love even stronger. And it'll be a true adventure. And there will be that seamless transition into heaven because we're walking so close with him like Enoch. We'll just disappear one day. Instantly be in his presence. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no waiting around. But he's the person that was able to say, I finished my course. I did everything. And I have great joy, Timothy. I'm not sad. Don't you be sad for me. And tell the people, don't, don't be sad for me. Because I'm full of joy. I can't wait to get my crown because I have followed the Lord through every hardship and did exactly what he said to do. And young Timothy, you do the same thing now. Because there's a crown for you too. Get tough. Be a good soldier of Christ. Don't uh, mingle with these people who are wishy-washy and, and mingling standards and corrupting God's kingdom, like the elders and chief priests. And don't don't follow those people. And where Timothy was situated in Ephesus, don't follow compromisers and people bringing fornication to the church and idolatry. Be careful. In every opportunity, make sure the mouths are shut. That's what he told them. It wasn't just, you know, love on me and love on you and we're going to sing some worship songs and get the guitar tuned up. and No, to speak. And not to be a, a dynamic personality and somebody, you know, there are people who go for that shock value. They'll say something really sharp and they'll make a joke and they'll, it's like a manipulating thing. Basically, crowd control and crowd pleasing and hypnotism. A ringleader. But when it's really the Spirit of God, People know God is in the house and God is speaking and God is really drawing us closer. At that point, the person has a decision. Am I going to give in to that beautiful drawing or am I going to stand right against and gnash my teeth? That's up to them. But nobody will be able to mistake the fact that just like even with Stephen, with the people who hated him, God is with this person. And we do that for God's sake, not for our sake. Simply disappear and let Jesus appear. Glory be to God. Any of you would like to pray, you can go ahead and pray, then we'll conclude. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 